Hey, it's Mark Moss. Last time on the Tell Us Something podcast, Arthur Weatherwax mentioned that humor is an integral part of getting through life. Humor is the most powerful medicine that, that is out there. Because with humor, you can heal anything. The reality is that sometimes, well, sometimes things are really hard. But I don't feel like I'm feeling anything from myself because I'm just trying to work my way through all the other feelings. <laughs> like, taking care of people during this time, and especially people whose entire families and ways of life are not just being, like, inconvenienced, but decimated and changed on a level that is, like, hard to even relate to. <laughs> it's, it's different. It's just as important for us to acknowledge the hard stuff, too. This week on the podcast, I sit down with Carla Thylan, a nurse on the front lines of the battle against the coronavirus. She shares about her experience working in the Navajo Nation and reflects on one of the stories she shared at Tell Us Something. Thanks for joining me as I take you behind the scenes at Tell Us Something to meet the storytellers behind the stories. Each week, I sit down with a Tell Us Something Storyteller alumni and we chat about what they've been up to lately, about their experience sharing their story, and reflect on their story. Sometimes we get additional details, and always we get to know the storyteller a little better. We'd love your support of the Tell Us Something podcast. The best way that you can support us is to rate and review us on iTunes. It's how we can spread people's stories to more listeners. Also, when you see people asking for podcast recommendations, recommend Tell Us Something. If you just tell two people to subscribe to it, it would really help. Thank you so much. Also, if you have the means, please donate to the podcast. With all of our live events canceled so far this year, we are depending on donations and support to keep us afloat. There are a few ways to donate. You can visit tellussomething.org and click support to make a tax-deductible donation, or you can donate via Venmo at tellussomething or via PayPal, info at tellussomething.org. Thank you. If you want to get some cool Tell Us Something merch, visit tellussomething.org slash shop, where you can pick up a 10-year anniversary commemorative poster, a 16-ounce stainless steel double wall pint cup, or a made-in-the-USA canvas market tote bag. Check out all this cool stuff at tellussomething.org slash shop. Thank you to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store. They are the only store I go to for groceries right now, and it is in large part because of the safety precautions they have in place to keep our community safe. Learn more and order online for curbside pickup at goodfoodstore.com. I'm also excited to announce the next live Tell Us Something event, September 16th. The theme is Come As You Are. We're proud to feature storytellers who are engaged in an intensive week-long storytelling workshop. This event will feature American Sign Language interpreters to accommodate our deaf friends. Storytelling begins at 6 p.m. Get your tickets now at tellussomething.org slash shop. Good morning. Hi. How are you? Yeah, it's Mark Moss. Hey, Mark Moss. It's Carlos Island. Carlos Island, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I am. I'm doing all right. Thanks. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Good. How are you doing? Well, gosh, I don't even, honestly, I, sometimes I'm not sure that I even know. Like, I think I have, like, pat answers because they just come out, but I'm not sure. Like, I, I it's a whole different level. Like, I feel like I'm not allowing, maybe not allowing isn't the right word, but I don't feel like I'm feeling 
anything from myself because I'm just trying to work my way through all the other feelings. <laughs> like taking care of people during this time and especially people whose entire families and ways of life are not just being like inconvenienced but decimated and changed on a level that is like hard to even relate to. It's it's different. It's different for sure. <laughs> so are you in the hospital taking care of COVID patients? I am. Yep. That's I have been since April twentieth. That's my main that's my main that's my main gig. Are you like twelve hours a day, five days a week? Yeah. Yep. No, not seven. Oh my god. I'd be dead. I I would be dead. I'm twelve hours a day. I just finished a really long stretch. I did like sixty seven hours in five days, which is like I decided last night at about 9, 9 p.m. like that is definitely the max and that'll I can't do that again yeah. it's too much but um I generally work four four 12 hour days a week sometimes three if I'm lucky and they're not they're, you know they're supposedly 12 hour days but I would say generally more like 13 14 oh man yeah well thank you for the work that you're doing well I'm happy to do it I'm happy to be doing it. I'm not. Ha- I'm not happy necessarily while doing it, but I'm. I don't know. So I was planning. I wanted to go to New York because I'm sitting there in Missoula, going. I mean, I want to help. I want to help the home team. I want to be here, but I don't know that there's much I can do. And in fact, I was like losing shifts left and right. You know, nurses were being laid off. Like surgery, all elective surgeries were canceled. So you're kind of having to push the workforce around, and then I'm like a. I'm like a PRN, which means I am just like an on-call person. I sign up for my own shifts, and there was nothing left. That was all said and done. So I thought I need to get, I need to get somewhere. I need to really be part of this. And so I was working on getting a contract in New York, and and I got a call during that time from a friend I used to work with, Tuba City, Arizona, which is on the Navajo reservation, and he said, God you know, what are you doing? Like, can, is there any chance you can come down here and work? And I was like, well, I was going to go to New York. He's like, don't, we need you very badly here and we're not getting enough national press. So we're not getting the same kind of relief efforts. And I kind of looked into it and it was like, wow. So yeah. So I headed down there April 20 or I started April 20th. And I don't even know, like today I was like, I was looking at the expiration date for something and it said July 20th, and I'm like, oh, this is, I, oh, this is like three days overdue. And I'm like, no, it's June. Oh my God. It's like, I feel like I've been here a week and also 10 years. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Time <laughs> time is like such a weird construct right now. It is because we don't have the usual markers. I feel, that's how I feel. I, I feel like nothing, I don't know. And I've been in Arizona, so it was like in April. The weather in Arizona feels like early summer in Montana, and now I feel like I'm at the end of summer, but it's the beginning of Arizona summer. I'm going to get back in August to Missoula, and it's going to still be summer. <laughs> I don't even know what the, I don't know what the hell to wear. Well, at least at work you know what to wear. I do. Yeah, at work. Oh God, yes, I do know what to wear <laughs> because it's it is a it is a it's like a capsule. I think about it as like getting into the capsule. It's like. Yeah. What's that yeah. look like? Can you walk us through that? The, the capsule? Yeah. <laughs> the work suit? Yes, I can. 
so it starts the base layer is the scrubs very simple OR type scrubs that are laundered at the hospital in like 4,000 degree water probably in some kind of detergent that has like turned my entire body into like a raging hives which I've gotten over but so you wear scrubs and then there's an isolation gown which is just kind of like what you'd wear in the OR or something so like a gown over that that ties in the back and then you wear gloves of course you start the day with like a pair of gloves on and then that's like your hands you just tell yourself like you have blue hands and then you just put gloves on top of your blue hands but you never take off the blue hands they stay on all day and you have shoe covers and then but from the neck up is where it really gets rough it's like you have the n95 mask which is I was reading something online and it says something like they shouldn't like you shouldn't wear a 95 for more than like eight hours at a time and I'm like what but you put the N95 on and you like have this metal there's like this metal piece that you press onto your nose and by day two your nose is just screaming at you because it it's kind of brutal <laughs> but then you put a mask on top of that so you're breathing through not one but two layers of material and then if you wear glasses that's tricky because then you have to wear like goggles on top of that and which I do wear glasses at work and then so you wear like goggles or a face shield and then you put a surgical cap on and then just for just for fun I wear like a bouffant a surgical bouffant on top of that because it gives you some volume like it makes you feel like you have hair it's like that big puffy hair that's probably just that's just my add-on I don't think we have to wear it but that's how I that's how I express myself with style so that's it. So then you go into work and you're really suited up. And I was I wrote a, an essay, short essay about it. And I was like, yeah, it's like getting ready to go play in the snow when you're a kid. Like as soon as the last, you know, zipper is zipped, it's like oh, you have to pee and you can't breathe. But then you just you have to go work. <laughs> so it's I've gotten used to it. I really have. The bridge of my nose may never be the same, but that's okay. A lot of a lot of things aren't going to ever be the same. I, I think I can sacrifice like a one square inch of my body. What would you say so, to people who aren't willing to wear a mask? Um, I would say to people that aren't willing to wear a mask. Um, boy, this is a really frustrating. Uh, situation for me I would say that if you can't if you can't put a lightweight uh mask of the fabric of your choice you know on your face when you go into public I think it's really sad um because the people that end up taking care of people who have become sick with this virus are truly in their our bodies are and their bodies too I mean there's no choice left at that point. It's 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 a lot of it's just it's imprisonment basically, and so I don't know. I encourage everybody to to tie on the cloth mask. You know, if you can't go into a store with a mask on, um, we have to think about the greater good. And if that's the small sacrifice that you're being asked to make, you're getting off easy, really. <laughs> the thing that's so cool up on the Navajo Nation is, I mean, they have their own president, right? And there's a lot of people there that Jonathan Nez, I mean, he's the president of the Navajo Nation. And 
as a nation, I mean, you're talking about an inland, I mean, this is an island within, you know, that sits on top of like parts of New Mexico and Arizona. They have their own rules. I mean, you can't. There's curfews. Eight o'clock at night, everybody's off the street. I haven't. I I've been living under curfew since April twentieth. I mean, you can't you can't come or go on the weekend unless you have like a hospital badge and like. I mean, we have carte blanche, which is I feel really lucky to have, and I feel like it's important for me to be, you know, really respectful and mindful of that. That I can come and go ad lib, you know. But yeah, the, the grocery store that's in Tuba City, I've never been to because it's closed. It, it's never open when I'm not working. So, but I mean, they take the people's temp and everybody wears a mask. And as a nation, as a nation of people, like I would say by and large, there's, it's almost the opposite. Like if you're not wearing a mask or if you're not following the rules, there's a lot of social, um, what's that? There's like a term in sociology where it's a social control where like, you know, the community members are taking it into their hands to like police the other members like hey where's your mask like hey don't you don't you respect our elders like don't you realize that these choices that you're making are are gonna you know affect our whole community and our traditions and because it is really it, it really is a disease a, a virus that's really affecting the elder population where i work anyway I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. But no, you're not. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, all the things that you're saying, and I wish that more people would think about it that way. Right. And and then people will get uh, try to break it down to, like, you know, try to get really scientific on you and nuts and bolts and how, well, it, you know, it doesn't really do anything anyway and this and that. And for me, it's almost like the gesture, just the gesture of it is is enough because it's you're, you're giving a message that says, I care about the health of my community as much as I care about myself. That's all I do. I work and I go to work and then I come back and then I go to work and then I come back. And then when I have days off, I usually drive out someplace in Northern Arizona and spend time alone in nature. I mean, really, truly, that's what I've been doing. And I'm alone a lot, but I don't feel alone. I feel... We ended up talking quite a bit more and went in lots of different directions from here. Is there a story that you told that you would like me to focus on? Gosh. Well, the one that I felt, the one that I liked telling the best, I think, was the last one when I was talking about how I was a fire lookout and writing a book and blah, blah, blah. But the, the one, I had one that I talked about nursing. But I think that the Guardian Angel Obstacle Course one resonates the most with me right now just in these feeling in this feeling of um kind of like aloneness versus togetherness and how I ended up in a really intimate setting with someone who was a veritable stranger and we went through something together I mean we got essentially robbed I mean not a knife point but our our stuff got stolen and um we ended up in, in a situation of forced intimacy. And from that came, of course, as you, as always happens, from that came, you know, the story that humanizes, you know, both parties. And I had been really intimidated by this person that I was giving a ride to, and I feared all this judgment from her and all this weird stuff. But, you know, when you end up, and it comes right down to the brass tacks, and we were in a vulnerable place together, really opened up 
it, it opened the whole thing up to to our humanity and boy there's really not much more <laughs> intimate than being you know in a space with somebody who is is really walking the line between life and death or somebody who is you know like in the in the hospital or having a patient who might be doing you know fairly well and recovering but they have a family member or a spouse of 49 years as i recently experienced who who is on a ventilator intubated down in you know phoenix or tucson or some larger city and we're making you know we're doing facetime as you know essentially (laughs) i mean as a goodbye yeah really and so i think in that sense the that story where i was in baja and you know driving up baja with this this woman from germany that that's what is really resonating with me now because it i think it's when i say forced intimacy i don't i don't mean it to sound like forced i just mean it's not it's not intimacy by choice it's here you are here we are how are we going to get through this and consensual, but still, it's like picking up a hitchhiker or, you know, you're agreeing to give this person a ride. She wasn't hitchhiking, but how would that be different now if you were in the exact same situation, but with oh. with COVID? Oh, yeah. Really good question. <laughs> I mean, it would probably, it would require a conversation. It, I mean, it would require a conversation about how do we, how do we feel about this? You know, both. I think it gives with with people that are willing to have that conversation. I think it gives it gives people a chance to be honest about their feelings and what their boundaries are or what their comfort level is. It's essential to have those conversations. Oh yeah, it's essential. And maybe, maybe just maybe, it's essential for us to always have some degree of that in our interactions with other people. And maybe we have to learn it it's like sort of a baptism by fire and maybe we'll retain some of that like going forward I mean it is it's nice when people say to me are you comfortable with me standing here talking to you without a mask like in my RV park it's, you know or I, just, I don't know it's kind of nice to be asked yeah like what are you comfortable with right it's nice to be asked yeah compassionate communication and being able to um yeah, and you know, like things, whenever you're starting, I mean, just think of it, anytime you're starting a new anything, like job or making a lifestyle change, or if you've decided you're not going to drink for some months or years or a lifetime, I mean, the first bit of it feels clunky and like you're always having to think, but it becomes, it just becomes integrated into your person. And that's what I'm hoping is that if we can get through the clunkiness of it, then maybe we're just going to change the way we communicate with one another I mean, and, and the way that we treat one another. Well, I'm glad we got to talk. Me too. Thank you. Yeah, it was really interesting. It was cool. And I, I feel so distant from Missoula right now, so it was fun talking to you. Well, thanks for taking the time and reach out anytime you want if you're needing a Missoula connection beyond Chris. We can hang, <laughs> yeah. we'll hang out in the virtual backyard and, and have a glass of wine together. Thank you. This sounds great, Mark. Well, thanks for calling, and I'm interested to see how your um, podcast turns out. Yeah, me too. 
Thank you so much. I hope you have a fantastic day. And um, when this is done, when yours is done, I'll send it to you and let you know. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Yep. Thank you, Carla. You have a good day. All right. You too. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Carla grew up in Brainerd, Minnesota, and is based in Missoula, Montana, though she is currently working in the Navajo Nation and resides in her RV in Tuba City, Arizona. Carla has shared three stories that tell us something. The one she's asked me to share with you today, she shared on February 17th, 2015, at the Top Hat Lounge in Missoula, Montana. The theme was adventure. Carla's story is called Guardian Angel Obstacle Course. Is it too late for me to change my mind about this? <laughs> I mean, at least there's not a guy over here with like a gong or something, but, um, oh, they're ma- Wow, that was magical. Magic. I wish I could say I'm happy to see everybody out here tonight, but I really can't hardly see anything, which is maybe a blessing. So my adventure started way back in the old days before I made the sort of misinformed and dubious decision to become a full-time adult. And I used to spend winters down in Baja, um, cheap, easy, fun. And one winter, I packed up my 1992 Toyota Alltrack station wagon with all my shit and two dogs, um, one of which was mine, my dog Bandit. And then the other dog was, um, it belonged to a kind of a jackass boyfriend, but that's a whole other adventure. But I had these two dogs. And I drove down the Baja all the way down to this beach way at the southern tip, Los Cerritos. Spent the winter down there. And, um, you know, it did the Baja thing. You learn how to surf. You do a lot of eating and drinking. You know, you can lay around on the beach and pretend that you're writing a novel, which I did extremely well. And, um, and it was fun, and I was there for months. And at, at one point, I had this dream. And I was dreaming that there was this sort of disembodied female voice. And she kept saying, March 4th, March 4th. March 4th. And I woke up in the morning and I was like, oh my God, I looked at the calendar. It's like, okay, it's, it's almost the end of February. I got to get the hell out of here. For some reason, I thought March 4th was like this sort of a warning. So I got it in my mind, you know, how I was going to extract myself from the beach and started the process of, of loading up the car. And around the same time, I overheard a conversation between this man and a woman the woman sounded like she was from Germany, and, and she was telling this guy that she needed a ride to La Paz to the bus station because she said she needed to be in San Diego by March 4th. And I was like, uh, you know, like, ching, ding, 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 like the bionic ear. And I said, wait a second. I said, I can help you out here. I can, I can actually take you all the way to San Diego and, you know, not just La Paz. And I thought she would just jump at the chance, you know, any of the other beach hippies would have just been like, yeah, man, they would have gotten the car and you know, put their feet up on the dashboard, start rolling a joint or something. But uh, this woman, Katya, she was from Germany and she took a different approach. She, she kind of interviewed me. She wanted to see my driver's license, which was probably prudent. And, um, and, and she, she looked at the car, she asked some questions about the car and then, and then she kicked the tires, which, I mean, I still don't even know what that tells a person, but she did it. And um, apparently I passed the test, and she decided she would ride with me. She had one reservation, though, actually two reservations, and that was the dogs. She wasn't too sure she wanted to travel with these animals. She felt they would be disruptive. She wondered if they would be too smelly. And the best part, 
Now, I wish I could do a good German accent, but if I tried it, it would ruin the story. So you all have to imagine this. But the, the thing she was most concerned about was that she would feel them breathing on her, which I thought was hilarious. But I assured her that she wouldn't have to feel the dogs breathing on her. And uh, at this point, I was sort of desperate. Like, I wanted, I wanted a companion for the trip. So she's agreed. And the first day went really well. The drive was without any consequence. And Katya was very quiet. We had a lot of pretty comfortable silence, and I appreciated that. Um, I guess I could sum up the most, I could sum up the difference between our personalities best with two things. And one would be our reading material, and the second would be our luggage that we carried. The reading material Katya chose, she had this completely unblemished copy, like not even a dog-eared page, of The Tin Drum by Gunter Grass, which I know I should have read at some point in my life, but I haven't. She had been traveling for four months, and this, like I said, this book was like, looked like she just bought it. And I had people in Espanol, which I, I felt was more of an educational tool than, than entertainment. And it was a perfect you know, adjunct to my four years of distant high school Spanish. And um, as far as what she carried, um, she had this little backpack. It was like the size of my purse. And everything she had was like folded up into perfect squares and like in Ziploc bags and like perfectly organized. And I had this Toyota Corolla Alltrack and then this Yakima rocket box on top that was like stuffed to max capacity, you know, like, but that was the difference between us. And the second day of the trip started out pretty well, but it, it took kind of an ominous turn where, I don't know if anybody's driven the Baja, the Highway 1, and there's these places where you know, you're just driving up and down these steep ass hills. And we got to the top of this hill, and of course, Katya is reading the tin drum. And I get to the top and I look down and there's this, at the bottom of the hill, there's like a semi-truck trailer and it's like on fire, I mean, flames. And there's no cab to the truck and there's no, um, people around anywhere, and there's just cars kind of driving around it, so I thought, okay. You know, she's totally unflappable. She just looked up and she said to me, in the German accent that you're supposed to imagine, she says, oh, I've seen that once in Turkey. So we drive, <laughs> we drive around and, and we keep going, and I, all of a sudden I looked at the gas gauge and I thought, holy shit, you know, it was like ticking down and we were close to empty. And I should, have had, I should have filled gas earlier that day when we passed the Pemex station. But I had this ace in the hole. I knew there was this place, Via Jesus Maria. And it was in the middle you know, of nowhere. And they have, I know, it's a great name. <laughs> and there's a Pemex station there. And there's also a taco bus. So we could eat and get gas. We pull into Jesus Maria on fumes, of course. There's no gas. No gasoline at the gas station. That happens in Baja. Sometimes they're just like out of gas. And so across the street, though, there's these little boys, little mini extortionist <laughs> boys with their gas cans and their sign. You know, gasolina is like, it's only like 5,000 pesos a liter. You know, it was just like, oh my God, it made me sick to my stomach. So we went and ate. And the wind was blowing like hell. I mean, it was like sandblasting our faces. And the taco bus woman said, well, why don't you come in and eat inside? Oh, sure, sure, sure. And here I am, you know, with my fast-talking, you know, Spanish, you know, that I learned mostly watching telenovelas on uh, Univision. And I'm in there, blah, 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 blah. And Katya is just eating quietly. And we finally, you know, go back to the car, drive across the street and spend like, you know, $2,000 on 10 gallons of gas. And I wanted to kill those boys, and they're laughing and talking, and, and I decided to laugh and talk, and it's like, Spanish, 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 gringa, blah, 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 shit, whatever, and we take off. 
And I'm driving down the road and I hear this click, 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 click. And I thought, oh, it's like a nail or something in my tire. And I heard it again. I'm like, no, it's coming from the roof. So we pull over and I see that the Yakima box is kind of open. I'm like, oh shit. And so my first thought when I saw it, I was like, I was proud of myself. I was like, wow, I'm more organized than I thought I was because it's so clean. And then I was like, oh, it's actually empty, like totally empty. So all of my shit was stolen. Katya, of course, behind the novel. Um, her little backpack is still in the car. This was a real moment of uh, reckoning for me. I, I considered for just a minute not even telling her about it, but I didn't think this was possible. So I told her, and again, I got the same response as like the, the, the semi in flames, you know, you know, oh, this happened in Turkey or wherever the hell it happened. But um, we kept driving and we stopped in this place, Catavina, in the middle of the desert. We were going to camp that night. And we had a tent, her tent, and a sleeping bag, her sleeping bag. And of course, I was sort of relegated to the dirty, filthy dog blanket. And in the tent that night, and I have to say, the dogs were cuddling up with her, and she liked it. And I know they were breathing on her, too. And, <laughs> and so we, that night, though, it was interesting because in the darkness, I just felt like it was okay to kind of tell her, you know, where I was going and, and what was happening in my life. And, you know, I kind of described this mess I had back at home. It was kind of like one of these emotional, hot, steaming piles of mess that you, you know, it's kind of like when you have a party at your house and there's a ton of dirty dishes that are like going out the front door, but you go to bed anyway and you think in the morning everything's going to be cool and you wake up and it's worse because you have a hangover. And uh, so I kind of told her a little bit about my life and then she told me a little bit about her life, and it turns out she was going through a divorce, and, it, and her mom was dying of cancer. And all of a sudden, it was like this woman that I thought was like totally unflappable and totally perfect was sharing stuff with me in the darkness. We uh, went to sleep. And the next morning, we drove to the border. We were sitting at the border, and there was a long, long line, of course, of unmoving traffic. And there was a man who was kind of running up and down, selling stuff to people, and I saw him come closer to our car, and he had this statue, and he was holding it above his head, and it was the Virgin of Guadalupe, and she had these golden rays of light coming off of her. And Katya, Katya unrolled the window, and she, she you know, offered the guy some money, and they had an exchange, and she brought the statue in the car, and my first thought was, oh my God, this thing is like full of cocaine, and now we're going to prison forever. <laughs> And, um, but it wasn't, and she handed it to me, and she said, this is for you. And I said, oh, thank you. And she said, because I think you're moving too fast, and your guardian angel is having a hard time keeping up with you. <laughs> and so I sat there, and I thought about it for a second, and that voice came back to me from my dream, the March 4th, March 4th, March 4th, and I thought, we made it. It's March 4th, we're crossing the border. But all of a sudden, the words kind of took on a different meaning to me, and all of a sudden, I heard it more as, March 4th, like march forward, move forward. And at that moment, the cars and the line, they all just started moving forward. And then we lived. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. If you'd like to hear more of Carla's stories, you can go to tellussomething.org. Thanks again to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store. Learn more at goodfoodstore.com. Thanks to our enduring sponsors, 
cabinetparts.com, the number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997, providing the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price and knowledgeable hardware specialists. Cabinetparts.com is the direct source for all of your cabinet hardware needs. Blackfoot Communications. Since 1954, Blackfoot Communications have fostered a reputation based on exceptional customer service and community involvement. They deliver superior technology solutions through trusted relationships and enrich the lives of their customers, owners, and employees. Learn more at blackfoot.com. Thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula. Offering weekly meal delivery to nourish your family and friends, have a look at the menu and order online at truefoodcsa.com. Thanks to Cash for Junkers, who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at cashfordrunkersband.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors, Missoula Bone & Joint, providing superior clinical orthopedic care to their patients for over 60 years, missoulaboneandjoint.com. Access Physical Therapy, an enthusiastic team dedicated to providing compassionate and comprehensive care to their clients. Learn more at accessmissoula.com. Thank you to our in-kind sponsors. The Top Hat Lounge, reopening responsibly, reconnecting with our community in the new normal. Top Hat Restaurant and Bar is open with limited capacity in-house dining and takeout. For a menu and to learn more, visit logjampresents.com and click Restaurant. Missoula Broadcasting Company, learn more at missoulabroadcasting.com. Enlighten Lab Float Center, learn more at enlightenlab.com. That's E-N-L-Y-T-E-N-L-A-B.com. Inertia Physiotherapy. Move better, feel better. Stay in motion with Inertia Physiotherapy. InertiaPhysioMT.com. GeckoDesigns.com. MissoulaEvents.net. Podcast production by me, Mark Moss. To learn more about Tell Us Something, please visit TellUsSomething.org. Stay safe, wear a mask, take care of yourself, and take care of each other. 